Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit vip.dealersedge.com for more information. Welcome to this Dealer's Edge webinar featuring Don Tipton with a workshop on building a business plan for your service department. Don Tipton is president of DTC Retail Consulting, a fixed operations advisory firm working with retail car dealers across the United States and Canada. I'm Mike Bowers, executive editor of Dealer's Edge. Opportunity is knocking for improved sales and profits in the service department. Are you ready to take advantage? There's a reason they call it fixed operations. Uh, dealership service departments are supposed to provide a steady source of profits through thick and thin. But success requires a well-thought-out plan. We're joined again by fixed operations expert Don Tipton with some concrete ideas and opportunities for you to grow service sales and profits. Don, why don't you take it from here? These are the recommendations that, that, that I attempt to go after in the store when, we, when, we, when the uh, focus turns to pay plan. Uh, Don? Service, yes, sir. Uh, question. Uh, when we look at the service advisor compensation, the question is, uh, why aren't we paying anything on part sales? Okay, good question. It always comes up. Um, in my opinion, service advisors don't sell parts. Um, I have dealers ask me that in 20 groups, uh, when I speak to 20 groups fairly frequently, and uh, they'll either ask me about paying on parts or parts to labor ratio and how do I get my parts to labor ratio up and so forth and so on. And, you know, if you went to your service lane this afternoon and said, look, guys and gals, we need to increase our parts sales. So starting immediately, I want you to sell more parts. And they're going to look at you like you like you got two years. Um, maybe there's a cabin filter along the way that they could sell, an air filter, wiper blades, some bulbs. I mean, there are some things they can sell, absolutely. But the, but the truth is this. If we sell our inventory and service, which is time, the, the part sales are associated with doing a proper repair whether it's a repair of the component or whether it's a replacement of the component, the part sales are associated with selling that inventory. And I want our frontline people to be um, strapped arm-in-arm uh, -arm with our technicians. They're thinking time just like our techs are thinking time. Their, um, their paycheck is dependent upon the same thing our techs who are producing the finished product for us is based on, and that's flat rate time. That's why I don't, I don't include parts typically. All right, and uh, follow-up question is um, when we look at this pay plan, is this based on individual service advisor compensation or, uh, or individual service advisor production or, or the whole department? Uh, good question, and it's, and it's actually listed here. It's actually based on both, Mike. Um, okay. The, the uh, must have a strong individual component, as you see here, mm -hmm. so you can reward performance. Um, you know, the sales, the sales department doesn't take all the new vehicles sold at the end of the month and divvy them up evenly amongst the sales team. There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. The salesperson that sells those cars is probably going to make the most money. Okay. Uh, and would you pay, um, would, 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 would all service advisors get the same pay plan, or do you have different plans for, depending on how much experience they have or how important they are to your, your program? Absolutely. But first, let me say there is a team component because whether you have 
three, four, five service advisors. You don't want little empires out there, and you don't want them wrestling and fighting each other for that customer. You, you certainly do want competition, but not animosity. So there is a team component. Um, and, and second, and also to answer your, your, your last question, a lot of cases will build levels into these pay plans so that an entry-level advisor with uh, limited experience is paid at a lower rate than a uh, advisor with more experience or senior-level advisors. And then there's qualifiers, Mike, that will go from one level to the next. And, and, and quite often, uh, even the senior guys that have been at it for a while, they're at the top level, the top pay plan, have to requalify on a six-month basis um, to maintain their pay scale, or they could drop, actually, either maintain or drop down the pay scale. Um, the guys at the lower pay scales during that review process may earn the right to go up a pay scale. So you, you can tie in a lot of things to that. You can tie in, you know, hours per repair order. You can tie in effective rate. You've got to be a little careful with those, but you can tie those in. You can tie in CSI scores and that type of stuff as far as actually moving an advisor up and down through the pay scales. And uh, we'll take one more question before we move on. It's from Dave out in the audience. Uh, how should you calculate express lane labor? Uh, I'm not sure what you're getting at, Dave, but, but where does express lane labor fit into uh, the planning and the, and the pay? Well, I'm not sure of the question, Mike. It, 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 obviously, it's part of the, the, the big picture that I, that I, in my case study, it's part of that 65% gross profit. It's part of the 3,441, um, uh, excuse me, it's part of the 12,000, 1,200 some repair orders, I'll get it right in a minute. Mm -hmm. It's part of the total shop production. So it's all part of those numbers in my case study because they were a big uh, quick lane operation. Um, as far as the pay is concerned, dedicated advisors, that's a different scenario as, as opposed to the one I'm describing here. Um, that would be typically on value per repair order. Um, and, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe a sales component or maybe SPIF components on individual items for upsells, but, but generally not on, on flat rate production, but be dedicated advisor. And, and uh, Sean sent in another question. Why, where did the 15% come from, the 15% of department gross uh, as the uh, compensation benchmark? Um, you know, it, it just works. Uh, it, it, it works because... Overall, and we'll get to this in just a minute, but overall you're looking for around 45% uh, personnel expense as a percent of gross profit. So this kind of fits into that, uh, into that parameter. You, know, you don't want to spend any more than 45% of your gross on total personnel expense. So of that, you know, what how much of that do you want to dedicate to your advisors? And that 15% number, Mike, it just seems to work. And the stores that are the most profitable generally are around 13, 12, 13, 14% of growth. All right. Okay. We get more than that because you focused on each area separate. Okay, we've got a couple questions here, Don. If you want to, absolutely. You're too too far off of them. Uh, for one is, a, is let me just give you a comment because I'm getting some objections to 15 percent. Um, but I think that's real. That's a, a planning number, a budgeting number, uh, and that is actual, a, that is a that's a budget number. That doesn't mean you go in with your current staff and you and you uh, you make that number fit. <laughs> yeah. So I, think, I, think that's, I think that's the question, and because as you described, different advisors may have slightly different pay plans. Um, your actual number could come in a little under fifteen percent. Oh, there's no question. I'm not saying you because I'm not either way, Mike. I'm not saying because we budget fifteen percent, you spend it, and I'm also not saying because you're currently spending over fifteen percent, 
that you have to reel it back immediately. Yeah. But but you work you work to get it in line either as turnover takes takes place uh, or as you work to grow your business, increase your growth. Okay. Uh, question now from Larry. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on dispatching? Uh, do you like do you prefer a central system or a group concept? Uh, how, how do you like to go with that? Again, you know, one, one size doesn't fit all. It depends on the shop layout and the configuration, whether you um, – but, but I can pretty much say a central dispatch, uh, as far as a human central dispatch, um, you know, died in the 60s, and that's where it should have, probably should have stayed. Uh, but there are other options with electronic dispatch, with um, uh, simple support groups, which, again, is not one-size-fits-all. That's generally the, the direction I like to go if it fits or lateral support groups where you have group leaders involved and so forth. And that's also a good fit, depending on the, the layout of the facility and the staff and so forth. And then, of course, there's a super group option where you have two service advisors assigned to, to uh, probably eight technicians. So generally, the central dispatch is at least efficient, and we try to avoid that one. Okay. And one more question. Um, you've got shops. Larry's shop is open 70 hours during the week. Um, how many hours should you expect a service advisor to, to work during the week? Well, my dad told me when I got in this business that I was, he was only expecting me to work a half a day, so I was pretty excited about being in the car business. Little did I know at the time he meant 12 hours, because <laughs> it's 24 hours in a day. Um, and I don't expect that. That's a joke. But uh, service advisors do put in long days, and it's not unusual to see you know 10-hour days on a consistent basis. Uh, if you're open those kind of hours, you just have to have, um, you have to stagger, you have to have the, the, the staff to have it to, 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 um, to accommodate the customers. And generally, a some type of group environment where that person that's on has a partner that's off works well so that uh, the, the cycle of scheduling work and, and the continuation of jobs and process is much smoother. Okay. And a uh, question from Dave. Um, Chrysler Express Lane tells us not to flag time. Uh, so, so how do we figure how to, I guess, how to pay people, how to bill people? Do we just make it a, a flat half hour for oil change and calculate that into labor hours, or should we ignore Chrysler and go ahead and flag the time? Well, I, um, I, I kind of do both, Mike. I, I, uh, I, I never get away from flagging. Um, because I want to, I just still want to measure productivity, even though there, nobody may be in the quick lane or express lane area. Nobody may, none of the, if all people may be paid on any kind of flat rate. As a manager, it still gives me a tool, just to, if nothing else, to compare individuals, um, you know, to each other, who's being productive or not. Um, generally, I look at a a uh, pay plan that's based on value per repair order. And in um, uh, a SPIF program, and um, mm -hmm. you know the costing uh, you mentioned, the costing of those operations is a very good idea, and we've been doing a lot of that the last 12 months or so. Um, uh, at least it's been a lot of conversation. There's actually been several stores that have gone to costing, flat costing of those quick service operations, uh, which is really a good idea in controlling your gross um, on those operations that have such a low gross to start with and pay a flat dollar amount to the technicians for those operations as opposed to paying 
um, you know, any type of flat rate bonus. And that's also happening in the main shops, not not just in the express lane and quick lane shops. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. These these twelve components again, not a complete list by any stretch, but I really feel are real important to building your plan on how to. Uh, Don. Yes, sir. Um, Steve from the audience also sent in a, his suggestion uh, to add to the list, maybe a number 13 or 14. Uh, his store uses uh, valets uh, and uh, and sometimes service advisors to move customer cars. But uh, his suggestion is uh, is that you greet customers uh, by name uh, as a uh, use their names as a way to improve their experience. Now, have you seen any good ways to to learn the customer's name or to get that ahead of time? Uh, yeah, I cheat. I write it down on my hand because um, <laughs> I'm terrible with remembering. No, and he's absolutely onto it. I mean, and and whether it's the the, the restaurants, your favorite bartender, the bank teller, whoever it may be, uh, customers love to hear the sound of their name. That 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 comment is dead on. The challenge is being able to pull it off, um, and 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 know the customer's name. And there are some people that are excellent at that. And of course, if you have a lot of repeat. I think the secret to that, Mike, is, is as a service advisor, your goal is to try to build repeat clientele mm -hmm. so that you do recognize them as they as they come in uh, so that it makes that job a lot easier. you got to be a little careful using the data on the system, um, you know, the calling them by the, by the name that's in your in your system because you yeah. may not be right. <laughs> so you got to be a little careful with being phony with it. Right, and there was a, a one suggestion uh, that we heard from another workshop was to uh, was to was to quickly, if you can see it, was to quickly put in the uh, vehicle, the, the license number, uh, if you have that as part of your customer record. Uh, that is, uh, I've actually visited stores in years past, Mike, that had a spotter with a headset that did that, and for the most part, it worked until it didn't work when you know the neighbor brought the car in for him, or uh, you know the driver brought the uh, brought the BMW in instead of the doctor, or you know what I'm you know. So um, it works, but it doesn't work. Uh, there was one other idea we heard earlier, and that was, um, I'm not sure it's even available in dealerships yet or if it's still in the trial stage, but that was having a, an RFID chip on uh, on all your cars. Right. Uh, right. And then so that, so that yeah, that would that would trigger the, the customer record uh, as, as they approach the dealership. Right. I think all, I think that all that's great, whether it's uh, the license plate or the, or, you know, the technology. Um, ideal situation is to really know who they are. Okay, and Steve's guys use headsets so they can talk to each other. Uh, the advisors and the valets can talk to each other. Uh, oh, good, good, yeah, good, good idea. Deal. Yeah, for sure. Mike. <clears throat> okay, we've got a few questions for you, um, Don. When we talk about the uh, the forty five percent figure for personnel expense and service, we want to be under forty five percent. Does 45% include um, allocated expenses like the dealer's compensation or the controller or general manager, or is it strictly the service personnel? No, the, the answer to that is yes. It includes all allocated expenses, and you get, you've got a real plus that the dealer's not taking a salary uh, um, out of the um, out of the department. Something some do, some don't. It's kind of a mixed bag. But generally, that 45% has been a um, a 20 group benchmark for quite a while. Um, and it may have varied a little bit over the years. In fact, it may be up a little bit higher than that right now, but it's still a good number to shoot for, but it does include allocated personnel. Okay. Um, Sean asks, 
Um, right, we have uh, repair orders, occasionally have repair orders where the work is done but we haven't gotten paid yet. Uh, at the end of the month, is, it, is the best practice to close the repair order uh, and create an account receivable uh, or should we leave the repair order open until we get paid? Um, if, if the job is done um, and the vehicle is ready to be picked up and the customer has a legitimate account receivable, I think it's okay to close it to a receivable. All we're waiting for at that point is the customer to pick it up. I think that's probably okay. Um, the only the only problem we run into that, or I, the only issue I have with that, Mike, is if the customer uh, picks the vehicle up and now we have to make adjustments, it's, it's, it's um, a little difficult. If it's work in process, the vehicle's not complete, then by all means, that repair order should not be closed just because it's month in. Month in is just another day. And we should have we should have carryover vehicles at every month in. Okay, right. And, and we did a, uh, a workshop, folks, on uh, work in process and how to account for it. Uh, several weeks ago, you could check uh, dealersedge.com uh, and look for the uh, for Rob Campbell's uh, work in process workshop. Um, okay, final question: We've got technicians who like to bring in side jobs or their family and friends' vehicles. Um, how can we handle that? We want to discourage it, but how do we how, how should we handle that? Um, generally, the most the, the most liberal policy I've seen on that is. A technician can, um, and, and this is about as far as it goes, really. A technician can bring an immediate family vehicle, uh, his personal vehicle, his or her personal vehicle, or immediate family vehicle, and you got to really define immediate family so it doesn't, you know, my third cousin by my second marriage or whatever, you know. Um, after hours, you're not taking my production hours and working on something on your own. Most shops that I work with, um, really don't allow much of that at all. And uh, whatever whatever your policy is, it needs to be after hours and, it, and a repair order needs to be generated. Um, and there, if, if you charge shop supplies, probably shop supplies, standard, a standard shop supply rate ought to apply to cover the incidentals that you know are going to be used in, in that job. Uh, and management should always, the audience, there should always be some, if, if the manager doesn't want to stay for an employee to work on their vehicle, then the employee can't work on their vehicle. Okay. Um, let's take one more here. Um, used car reconditioning. Uh, should it be our policy to have all used car reconditioning done by the service department, uh, or should we compete with outside shops? Oh, no. I'm, I've, I've had, to me, Mike, that's, that's, uh, that's all internal. I guess I'm old school there, but... Mm -hmm. I think that's all should be handled within the service department um, because, when, you know, if and when that customer comes back to the service department, the service history is there. We can call it up. We know what we did. We can pull the file. We know what was recommended. We know what was declined, which, of course, we can handle internally amongst ourselves. Um, I, I, I really believe and like to have all of that handled in-house. Okay, and that's a, that's a matter for the, uh, the dealer principal to lay down no the law. That's the no rule. question. Okay. All right. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of our questions and, and the end of our workshop today.